Our New Testament reading is from Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. So then, remember that at one time, you Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made, us, made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall, that is, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through him both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our gospel reading is from John 13, verse 31 through 35. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord God, help us to turn our hearts to you and hear what you will speak, for you speak peace to your people. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. It's, real so, it's with real soberness that I enter into this reflection and the study of these texts and putting forth a word about how we live a communal life together. I've spent the last 20 years reflecting on and trying to live out as a participant and a leader within a church community that is shaped and guided by Jesus and his love for us. But I continue to be humbled by how much I need to learn. With Jesus' resurrection fresh in our minds, we are seeking to discern how a church like ours would receive the peace of Jesus that he has secured and allow it to move us to creatively engage in cultivating a community that loves sacrificially, that works hard to maintain peace, and that sees Jesus as the unifying center that draws us towards each other as we are drawn towards him. How do we experience difference and allow it to shape our pursuit of relationships 
This has been the challenge of this past year and the ex what it has exposed about our world. Is it a move towards diversity or away? Is it a move towards affirming and appreciating difference or away? Is it a life marked by hospitality towards others or not? We each have our own stories where we have had to wrestle with people in our own life, people that may be different from us culturally, racially, ideologically, socioeconomically, religiously. The question for each of us is, how do we respond to those that are different from us? How do we respond to the ways that our differences pose a challenge for our unity? I can continue on and on and list out, as many of you can as well, how and highlight the real polarization and fracturing of our world. It's on the headlines all the time. There's a real racial reckoning and a need for someone like myself and a community like ours to do substantive work to meet this moment and answer the question, what do we do about the fear of difference in our world, in our city, in our neighborhoods? What do we do about injustice that has been created and continues to be created by ungodly ways of responding to the fear of difference? We have also experienced a year where we were told to be socially distant, a year where COVID has taught us to fear being around others. This has had an enormous impact on how we have been able to cultivate a community that can overcome differences and work towards acknowledging one another and the gift that different perspectives, different stories, different histories can bring to our common life. We have what feels like an enormous task before us as we consider moving out of COVID-era social practices and into a new world where our differences have been heightened in ways that seem threatening, where the dynamic of us versus them has caused so much polarization and fracturing. I want to encourage you today and invite you to lean into this task that feels enormous. This task is one that Jesus went to the cross and died to secure a way forward for us. He has broken down the dividing wall. He has put to death the hostility between us. He has created in himself one new humanity. He is our peace. And he proclaims peace to all of us and calls us to live according to that love that he has shown us. The question is, will we hear his voice? And will we live according to it? As we reflect on the scriptures today, I'd like us to observe three things. First, Jesus is our peace. Second, peace requires our consistent attention. And third, the love of Jesus sustains and enables our peacemaking. Let's take some time to reflect on the text so that we can hear Jesus' invitation. The challenge of cultivating community is not unique to me or for you or to our day. For the earliest Christians, they were needing to overcome significant differences in order to welcome one another, receive one another, and to begin to embody the new humanity that Paul describes and that Jesus has made available. Here in Ephesians, we have a grand articulation of how Jesus establishes a foundation of peace that a new community can be built upon. 
Paul is highlighting the surprising good news of the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's saving and rescuing work. He is highlighting all the ways the Gentiles would have experienced alienation, separation, and the legitimate hostility that existed and it was known and experienced between Jews and Gentiles for centuries. To be clear, Gentiles are simply all the people that are not Jewish. So through Jesus, in a surprising new way, all peoples, all nations are welcomed in to know God's rescuing love. The inclusion of the Gentiles was also not simply an invitation to move towards the Jewish way of life or the Jewish temple, but rather a welcoming into a life that moves towards Jesus. Jesus is the new reference point. He proclaims peace to us all, those who are seen as far away, those who are seen as near. He creates a new humanity that has as its center Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the temple. His death and resurrection have broken down the prior divisions, circumcision, physical temple, law observance, and he removes the prior divisions and the hostility that comes with them. He makes one new humanity, drawing from all the peoples of the world so that all peoples may be united in him and that they may live to receive and share in his peace. As we take up the creative work of living to receive and share in his peace, we are being joined together and are growing into a spiritual house that becomes a dwelling place for God's very life. This was not easy. This vision of life with Jesus was not easy for the first Jewish Christians to affirm. To include the Gentiles, to make room for them, created all sorts of uncomfortable spaces and unanswered questions. The Gentiles come in with very different cultural practices, different approaches and histories with morality, and some ignorance to all the long history of Jewish identity relationship with God. There is an account even in Galatians 2, the letter of Paul to the area of Galatia, where Paul confronts the apostle Peter because Peter began to separate himself from Gentile Christians and only spend time with Jewish Christians. Paul says in Galatians 2 that Peter's actions are not in step with the truth of the gospel. Peter was not living according to what Jesus had done. He was not living according to the foundation of peace that Jesus created between Jew and Gentile. You can also see this tension in the Acts of the Apostles, in Acts chapter 15, as the early church pulls together a Jerusalem council, and they're trying to understand and provide helpful guidance to the uncomfortable spaces that are created by welcoming Gentiles into the life with Jesus and into early church communities that are seeking to follow the way of Jesus. The tension seems to be, do the Gentiles need to become more Jewish? Or do we all need to conform more to being the new humanity in Jesus? What we see in the early church is that it took time to process this new foundation of peace that Jesus creates. It took time to grow into a greater hospitality that Jesus makes possible. As you read the letters of the New Testament, written to church communities trying to live out this new Jesus way, you run into so many occasions 
where people find ways to allow difference to become division. They allow difference to become a place for hostility. And you can see how they made things other than Jesus the source of and foundation for their peace and their unity. When we look at our day, this is no different. Within the church at large, there are so many ways we have created divisions that separate us and alienate us from one another. In our church's tradition, which is the Dutch Reformed Church, <clears throat> we have a confessional document called the Belhar Confession, simply a way of stating belief in a particular moment of time. It's a document that originated from the horrific circumstances of apartheid South Africa, of which the church was very much complicit in. It is a document written to confront racism and to point towards the reconciliation of Jesus. It was a crucial moment for the church uh, of self-awareness and a call for theological realignment. I encourage you to read it and study it for yourself. It is a very powerful statement and what it, what it explains. I'll give you a sample from one of the statements within it here. It says, we believe that this unity must become visible so that the world may believe that separation, enmity, and hatred between people and groups is sin, which Christ has already conquered, and accordingly that anything which threatens this unity may have no place in the church and must be resisted. It sounds like good news for today. You may be sitting here today or watching from home rather skeptical of the state of the church and the ability of Christians to actually be peacemakers. There is good reason for your skepticism. The church has really struggled over time and across the globe with peacemaking. This is why we as a community take up the practice of weekly confessing our sins and invite all of us to practice at daily times of confessing our sins because we see that the Christian life is a daily work of repentance. It's a work of acknowledging our sin, our flawed motives, our relational immaturity, our deep-seated bias. We implore the need for an ever-present humility and an openness to hear Jesus' invitation afresh. This is what we need. This is what, this is what I need daily. Eugene Peterson, a, a Christian pastor and writer, has a helpful way of summarizing this dynamic of our flawed practice. He says, church is where peace is understood comprehensively as Christ present and working among us. But none of us who meet and worship together as a church were admitted into the company on the strength of our peace skills. We have a lot of growing up ahead of us. Given the twin set of circumstances that we use the vocabulary of peace a lot, and that like children learning to walk, none of us are very good at it. When anyone looks at church as a performance, whether from inside or outside, mostly what they see is skinned knees, sprained ankles, awkward, bungled attempts at keeping the peace. But we also know that at the source and center of church, Jesus is our peace. And so we don't quit. We have rehearsed how Christians over time, across, uh, across time and across the globe, have struggled to keep Jesus at the center. And you can further study how groups 
have used different interpretations of Jesus to justify a distorted center that excludes, alienates people from the peace of Jesus. And these are truly sad stories. I invite you now to reflect with me on our church and on your participation in receiving and sharing in the peace of Jesus. The work of peacemaking is always before us, and we will consider that now. As a, as a localized church community of Christians in our city, we seek to exist for one another and for the good of our neighbors. A big part of that being for one another and for our neighbors is a dogged commitment to this peace that Jesus gives us. We cannot give up on that commitment to pursue peace with one another and with our neighbors. Peace is a reality that Jesus has secured, but it is a delicate reality to maintain in the real circumstances of our lives. This year, if anything, has showed us that. In the real circumstances that our church, Resurrection Philadelphia, finds itself in, we have work to do. We are a church that seeks to welcome people from all sorts of backgrounds, culturally, socioeconomically, and a long list of others. When we are successful at practicing hospitality, we have before us the opportunity to receive people, to hear their stories, to invite people with all sorts of differences further into the life of the church and further into our very lives, into our calendars, into our homes when that's allowed. <laughs> it can be easy, though, to grow tired of hospitality and move inwards towards ourselves and carve out space with people just like us and ultimately, once again, create separation. We live in a city that's very transient, and some of you may have experienced the transience in acute ways this year as COVID life drove numbers of people out of the city and out of different neighborhoods. It can be challenging to establish a community that practices love, support, and the hard work of peacemaking when for all sorts of reasons, people are moving in and moving out as a normal course and way of life in our city. This past year, we moved through a merger process, a process City Church and Liberty Center City discerning what would it look like and what would it mean for two church communities to come together. That discernment led to a decision to bring our two churches to be together to become one in our work and in how we organize our common life in the city. We've taken up the name Resurrection Philadelphia, this is our second week truly using the name. It's an exciting time. It was beautiful last week, though, to listen and be inspired by, to hear the prayers of Thanksgiving, remembering the legacy of a city church, Liberty Center City, and Woodland Presbyterian, and to take up the renewed membership vows together as one body. I have to be honest, though. I was also feeling a lot of grief and loss for what was. I'm sure a number of you are experiencing that in your own way. We have functionally been a merged church for almost a year. And yet with COVID protocols for the past year, there are many ways that we are just getting to know each other. We are just starting to learn each other's names, hear each other's stories, and we are just starting to imagine a common life in our city. Peacemaking is always before us. Jesus is our peace, and so we don't quit. But here's this. 
The love of Jesus sustains and enables our effort of peacemaking. I propose, based on the Ephesians text and Jesus' words from the Gospel of John, that the, the sacrificial love of Jesus that secures our peace is what sustains and enables our peacemaking. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. Being rooted and grounded in the love of Jesus towards us gives us the resources to pursue one another in love. When Jesus' love begins to shape our community, it moves us to do the very things that enable and maintain peace. It propels us to bridge perceived differences and to seek understanding before our differences become division. It propels us to serve others' needs more than our own. Jesus' love propels me to aim my actions and my words towards encouraging others, building others up, rather than finding ways to heighten the awareness of our differences or to find ways to prop myself up while putting someone else down. Love helps us to see the differences that exist and yet not be controlled by the fear of those differences. Love helps me to humble, to be humble and truly see the gift of others in community. I am hopeful and I'm imagining times over the coming weeks and months when we will be meeting each other and meeting new friends that move to our city, seeking to get to know each other and taking steps to cultivate a new church community with each other in ways that we have not had the opportunity to do so up to this point. How do we meet our, our moment, our current moment of coming out of COVID? How do we relearn to be present to one another so that we live towards this peace that Jesus gives us? I just want to highlight a couple of very practical suggestions. One, uh, it's something that I shared with the Liberty Congregation uh, probably a year or two ago, but it's uh, this principle of 10 in 10. And it's this idea. Arriving early to worship, if you're able to come and be present in worship uh, each week, prioritize 10 minutes before worship and the 10 minutes after worship ends to say hello to someone you've never met before. Uh, take time to, to have conversation with people you've never met, which there's going to be ample time for that over the number of weeks. I invite you to consider that principle of 10 and 10. 10 minutes at the front end of the service, 10, min 10 minutes at the end of the service. Also, prioritize the, the gatherings that we have planned over the next number of months at Belmont Grove. It's part of the Fairmount Park system, and we're going to give more details about those opportunities, but every month we have a a time planned to gather. And these are times for our church community to gather corporately and in large outdoor spaces in safe ways. I encourage you to prioritize those times as we seek to learn being a new church community together. And if you are newer among us, we invite you, we're going to say a word about this towards the end of the service, but we invite you to attend an upcoming membership seminar. This is simply a time to Learn about the, com the community, this community, and give yourself space to be welcomed and invited further in, to learn what it means to have relationship with people here and to, to grow into a space of mutual care with this community.
as we anticipate these times of interaction and many others, think with me the last conversation you had with someone, not in your household or not in your community group if you're a part of one of those. Maybe someone you met at church a couple weeks ago or even today. Uh, or at a park meetup, or if you're a family with some other kids, or just with some friends from work. What I've noticed is this. It's hard to relearn how to be in conversation with people in person when you've not been in practice for so many months. There are a number of ways, that, though, that people bring practical wisdom to help us begin to relearn again what this looks like. How do we pre- be present to another person? How do we be present in such a way that you can embody the love of Jesus for them. It was while I was reading a recent book uh, by uh, author uh, and pastor Pete Scazzaro. It's his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. I think it's a great book. You should check it out if you haven't already. But in it, he references another work by uh, an author named David Benner. And, And Benner provides these three questions when you think about how do I be present to someone? When I'm with someone, What does it mean for me to be present with them? There's three questions. He says, am I fully present or distracted? The second question, am I loving or judging? And lastly, am I open or closed to being changed? Once again, am I fully present or distracted? Am I loving or judging? And am I open or closed to being changed. When I reflected on these questions and and many conversations I've had in the recent past, I I recognize my own struggle to be with people and to be truly present. I'm often distracted, focused on what I want to say or where I'm going next. At times I catch myself not paying enough attention to truly hear and be impacted by someone else's story. I can struggle to be curious and attentive to someone else's life or perspective. A number of you over the summer read uh, Rowan Williams' book, Where God Happens. Delightful read about a Christian understanding of being present to one another and the opportunity to see that the gift of our presence to each other is a place where God meets us, where, where God happens. And in his book, he says this, Since one of the chief sources of the anxiety from which the gospel delivers us is the need to protect our picture of ourselves as right and good, one of the most obvious characteristics of the church ought to be a willingness to abandon anything like competitive virtue or competitive suffering or competitive victimage, competitive tolerance or competitive intolerance or whatever. The church points to the all-sufficiency of Christ when it is full of people whose concern is not to separate others from the hope of reconciliation and life by their fears and... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Fears and obsessions. A healthy church is one in which we seek to stay connected with God by seeking to connect others with God. One in which we win God by converting one another, and convert one another by our truthful awareness of frailty. A church that is living in such a way is the only church that will have anything different to say to the world. 
How deeply depressing if all the church to offer were new and better ways to succeed at the expense of others, reinstating the scapegoat mechanisms that the cross of Christ should have exploded once and for all. We each, we each come with our stories, with where we are at in our lives, and we have all sorts of hesitations and hopes for establishing a new community as Resurrection Philadelphia. We celebrate each week that Jesus' great act of love secures our peace. As we pursue one another motivated by Jesus' love, we will create space for peace, and we will build avenues of trust for peace to be known. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Resurrection Philadelphia. When Jesus' love is a source of our common life, our love will overflow, and we will come to be known as a community that truly follows Jesus in the world. Jesus overcame the obstacle of death so that by his love we can overcome the obstacle of our differences. May Jesus, by his Spirit, give you boldness and creativity to step out in love, to receive and know his peace. And may he give our church determination and patience as we seek to do this for one another and for our world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.